welcome. Welcome to K-Drama School. You all know who I am. You all know why we're here. We're here to discuss Korean dramas. And for those of you who have not heard the news yet, I will be recording a K-Drama School live podcast episode on April 8th, Saturday, 1pm in Anchorage, Alaska. So if you are in Alaska, please come, come out, come out to E Street Theater Saturday, April 8th, 1pm, where I will be doing a free live K-Drama School podcast episode with comedian guests. We have Leah Mansfield, Chip Nicholson, and Josh Edelman. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm really excited, so please come out, okay? Today I'll be discussing the show Juvenile Justice, which stars Kim Hye-soo, Kim Mu-yeol, and Yi Seung-min. It's mostly Kim Hye-soo and Kim Mu-yeol, but yeah, Yi Seung-min's in there. He's pretty good. Juvenile Justice is a legal drama that was originally produced for Netflix, and that is why we see a lot of smoking and there's a whole lot of profanity. Yeah, it was like, it was actually a bit stressful listening to these teenage kids cursing all the time and hitting one another and being violent. Juvenile Justice is somewhat comparable to Extracurricular, which is another Netflix original Korean drama that follows teenage delinquents. But Extracurricular didn't really have this full circle coming togetherness that Juvenile Justice has. And that full circle-ness comes together through the protagonist's journey, Shim Eun-seok. Right? And Shim Eun-seok is a judge. She is a hard-ass. She seems very unsympathetic towards juvenile offenders. And she just straight up says that she despises juvenile offenders. That's like the first thing she says at the start of the show. So she and her colleague Cha Tae-ju play this good cop, bad cop, yin-yang sort of role throughout the series. So Tae-ju is a bit naive. He himself grew up in a foster care system because he had an abusive father and he has a lot of hope for these young delinquent children whereas Eun-seok is very much on the other end of the extreme and she seems very unfeeling unfair and cold but she's not completely cold and unfeeling throughout the whole series she definitely has moments of extreme empathy towards the teenagers that she encounters especially in the case with Seoyuri so Sayuri is a girl who keeps running away and she keeps getting involved in, you know, situations with uh, street gangs because her father is abusive. And then in the case with the Putin home for girls case, she also shows some empathetic sides to her, especially when some of the girls go missing. With a lot of these cases, what brought me on board is that they don't simply vilify the antagonists. It's not like a simple black and white, oh, these juvenile offenders are, you know, horrible children and they're, you know, morally reprehensible, blah, blah, blah. It's not like that. The show is very empathetic to these young characters by revealing the abusive home situations that they come from. So in the Purun House for Girls case, especially, there's this one girl named Poyoung, who she's a girl with the blue hair. And she's like always bullying and harassing some of the other girls at the rehab center. But then at one point she runs away to go in search of her mother because she hears that her mom is not doing well. And when she finds her mom, her mom just slams the door in her face. <laughs> yeah. And then when Poyoung acts out, in you know a rageful reaction to this rejection from her mother her mother's boyfriend comes out of the apartment and beats her up 
So at the end of the series, Eunseok is quoted by saying that it takes a village to raise a child, but at the same time, one child's life can be completely ruined if that entire village neglects the child. So she's she's also saying that like none of us have any right to criticize these children because everybody's a perpetrator when it comes to these children and their uh, how do you, how do you say their moral shortcomings. Okay. I thought this uh, show was excellent in in a means to summarize the cycle of abuse and affliction and showing that these are systemic and structural problems, that they don't just come from an individual's flaws. You know, an individual is not just born flawed. They're not born as rapists and, you know, gangsters and thugs. No, they are they are turned into perpetrators for for a reason, right? So when we only and simply vilify a perpetrator, we're not involving ourselves in a complete picture, you know, to stand with only judgment and unfeelingness is to is to miss a huge part of the story. The show also shows that perpetrators are made in society, that they're not just born that way. And typically the blame for that kind of construction is, you know, is going to fall on the caretaker's hands, right? So it's like, well, if the caretakers are negligent and abusive in the homes, then they're going to produce children who are going to act out and rebel. But at the same time, you know, we can ask, well, what causes the caretaker to become negligent, right? Like, what is happening in the caretaker's life that causes them to neglect a child, And that points to a greater social systemic problem, right? It's like, well, are the caretakers, you know, do they have a proper wage? Do they have a job? Are they dealing with alcoholism? And quite a few of the parents named in this show have alcoholism in their, as part of their problems. Uh, Are these caretakers themselves also victims of abuse and cycles of abuse that they've endured? from their own parents, right? So this points to intergenerational trauma or intergenerational um, problem-making, right? I think the show's very successful at getting this particular point across, right? That the protagonist may seem unfeeling and claims to despise juvenile offenders, but she is very aware and she is very socially and... uh, how do I say, maybe even judiciously conscious of where and how these perpetrators are formed, that it's not just a simple story of just an individual, that it's connected to the larger network of problems where a society is dealing with abuse in all different ways, in all different directions. Kimezu's performance on this show was quite excellent, as per usual. She has such control in her delivery, and she does a really excellent job at capturing a person who suffers from PTSD. And it's later revealed that the reason why she has PTSD is because her son was killed in a freak accident where a couple of children stood on the rooftop of an apartment building and threw bricks down below. And one of those bricks struck her grade school son right on the head and it killed him instantly. And later that juvenile offender who killed her son reappears in a different case that ends up on her desk and Eun-suk loses her calm reserve and she has a panic attack that 
you know, brings her to the hospital. So Eunsuk breaks some of these court rules by involving herself in the police investigations and by not excluding herself in a case that might enable her bias. But it's like, well, where do these extreme choices come from, right? Her extreme acts are done in accordance to her own convictions based on the injustice of the system that did not resolve her own personal injury after the loss of her son. The two boys who killed her son walk away from that case after being released as minors within three minutes of being in the courtroom. And they're not punished at all. They're completely exonerated just because they're minors. And Unsuk argues that this is the reason why the boys grew up into abusive teenagers who gang rape girls, who coerce them with violence and blackmails them with footage of them having sex with the girls. And then they lure the girls into sex trafficking. Under these circumstances, these extreme circumstances, Unsuk feels very compelled to take radical action. And Unsuk's preference for a heavier punishment on juvenile offenders is related to the bigger issue in South Korea, specifically involving femicide and sexual assault cases. In a lot of these cases that are misogynistic at the, at the root of them, the perpetrators are often let go with a very light sentence. Sometimes the offenders, especially if they're politicians and celebrities, they're completely exonerated from whatever they've done. So the show doesn't explicitly point to this problem, but it does show it through the teenage boys in the last episode when their hearing um, gets sent to a different court case with a greater punitive consequence awaiting them. So the show has multiple layers. It's, it's very well serialized. It's got an excellent sort of pacing. I did find that some of the dialogue and some of the rage sequences, they were a bit gratuitous at times. But even still, I thought for a legal drama, this had a lot of, how do I say? It had a lot of, I don't know, I don't want to say heart because it's not exactly heart. It had a lot of consciousness. Yeah, the show is a very conscious sort of show that integrates a lot of the social, cultural, and systemic issues that South Korea is dealing with, and it seems to address them in a really excellent sort of way. So well done, Juvenile Justice. I don't think there's going to be a season two. I think the first season did its job, and I don't know. Or maybe or maybe there will be. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, whatever. This is, this is not up to me to decide that, but yeah, I mean, the, the end of the series seemed to have a completion, a sense of completion to it. And so, yeah, I mean, do we even need a season two? That's the question. So I'm not expecting a season two. I don't think we even need it. But I quite enjoyed Juvenile Justice. So if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. 